The headline was grimly familiar yesterday after a police press conference in Winnipeg, just a few years after the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls was released. Winnipeg police announced yesterday that another suspected serial killer had been charged with the murders of four Indigenous women in that city, uh, those murders happening within weeks of each other last spring. Um, The details are grisly. In a nutshell, the remains of 24-year-old Rebecca Contois um, of the Ochichak Kosipi First Nation were found on May 16th, and soon after, 35-year-old Jeremy Skibiki was arrested in that case. Then yesterday, police announced that he'd also been charged with other murders, that of 39-year-old Morgan Beatrice Harris, 26-year-old Mercedes Miran, both of the Long Plain First Nation. Those murders happened uh, earlier in May. And then with the murder of a fourth woman around mid-March, who police have not yet identified. Uh, Yesterday, Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe explained why it had taken more than six months to lay these new charges. A lot of legwork that went into identifying uh, these these other three victims. Uh, it takes some time. A lot of forensic work went into it, a lot of lab work. I don't know if they were specifically being targeted, but clearly uh, the victims in this are, are all Indigenous women. So still a lot of uh, questions unanswered. Uh, the, we imagine the investigation continues. More charges are possible. Uh, Yesterday, a First Nations member of the Manitoba legislature said there are deadly consequences when governments don't prioritize Indigenous women and girls and two-spirited people. NDP MLA Nahani Fontaine gave an impassioned plea for more resources for vulnerable women. It's devastating to be standing here again, to be having these conversations again. It's devastating to be standing here begging society to take this issue seriously. And that is a plea and a message that is echoed by my next guest, Hilda anderson Piers, is chair of the National Family and Survivors Circle, and she joins me now. Thanks for your time tonight. Sorry, thank you for having me. No, not at all. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out here in BC and I saw this headline yesterday and thought, it's 2022 and here it is. Here we are reading this again. Yes, it's absolutely devastating and heartbreaking to our communities and the families that are impacted. You know, I, it feels like as Indigenous people and Indigenous communities, we're in a perpetual state of grief, you know, with the ongoing genocide of Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people, you know, we stand in solidarity with the families during their time of grief. You know, nobody, you know, can begin to imagine what the families are going through, especially, you know, when we look at the one unidentified victim, I can't begin to imagine, you know, the, the anxiety, the stress, the trauma that families are going through who have a loved one who's missing. You know, we send, you know, our love and prayers to each and every one who's been impacted by these horrific crimes. For listeners who may not be familiar, I remember seeing um, the stories back in May. Uh, For those who may not be familiar, uh, people in the community must have known that something like this was happening as it was happening. Because I gather, I remember reading those, reading those stories and thinking, this sounds like it's not, this sounds like someone's out there targeting Indigenous women again. 
Yes, you know, and Indigenous communities and Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people and Indigenous advocates have repeatedly expressed concerns about serial killers targeting Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people, you know, especially when we look at what has occurred in Winnipeg, you know, this is not the first time our, you know, community and our nations are in, you know, navigating the grief and trauma of learning that there is a serial killer in Winnipeg. We had this, you know, happen a few years ago as well. And it's a continued concern right across the country regarding, you know, serial killers targeting Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender diverse people. So it's, we're, you know, as Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people, you know, we're, we live in fear. You know, we often, you know, have a lot of anxiety and stress. You know, when we leave our homes, are we going to be targeted by violence? You know, are we going to go missing or are we going to be murdered? You know, because, you know, the lack of action and the lack of political will results in murder in this country. You know, all levels of government have a responsibility to act and implement the 231 calls for justice. Yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, it struck me that it, that has been a few years now since that report came out and, and the progress that were, that was supposed to be made by then. First, I want to ask you, I mean, this is, you are chair of the National Family and Survivors Circle. This is a, this is, um, a tragedy that you have personal experience with. It, it, uh, you know what it's like to, to lose a loved one in this way. Yes, I do have personal experience, you know, losing my own sister. And, you know, when we look at the systemic and structural racism that exists within institutions and agencies, you know, that are there to protect Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people, but because of that structural and that systemic racism, you know, many of them are failing to provide, you know, the protection, but also when there's an investigation, you know, that is taking place, you know, the failure to give that um, homicide victim or that victim who has experienced violence, you know, the quality and the quantity of service you know, that, that they deserve, you know, compared to someone who is non-Indigenous. It's like a two-tier system in this country, one for Indigenous populations and one for non-Indigenous populations. And sadly, that is our reality. And, you know, we're constantly advocating and pushing for that systemic change that is so desperately needed, you know, to address the racism that is so prevalent in this country because racism is ultimately, you know, killing our Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people. So, you know, navigating my own experience and my family's experience, you know, has really, um, you know, really made me learn a lot about these systems and, and how they've impacted my life and my family's life and how I, I've like, you know, it's been part of my healing, learning how to be a very strong advocate and, you know, push for that um, systemic change that's so desperately needed for the, you know, to build those pathways of safety and security for Indigenous women and girls so we don't have to, you know, live in this perpetual state of grief or this perpetual state of fear because of the ongoing genocide against Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people. In this particular case, 
Um, I mean, I get the sense that that uh, Winnipeg police are alert to what had happened. Uh, they have a suspect. They continue to investigate. But in this particular case, um, given the when it happened, how it happened, what do you do? How do you prevent? How do you protect? Better protect in those environment in, in those situations. I guess we don't really know the circumstances of these particular crimes or alleged crimes. But how do you do a better job? Well, you know, when it comes to, you know, it's about like building those pathways to safety and security. You know, you need to, um, you know, address the impacts of colonization. You know, you need to provide opportunities, you know, for access to safe, affordable housing, you know, access to educational opportunities, access to economic opportunities, access to childcare, you know, access to, um, opportunities to, you know, reclaim your connection to to your community, your culture, your language, you know, land-based healing, and, you know, just to really provide those safe spaces for Indigenous women and girls and to spirit and gender diverse people to access those services. And those services must be adequately resourced and they must be long-term and sustainable because we often see, you know, federal and provincial governments fund, you know, one to two year projects related to, you know, building those pathways of safety and security that I just described, you know, and those opportunities for healing, health and wellness, and then then they go away, you know. Our lives should not be dependent upon project funding. It has to be long-term sustainable, and there has to be, you know, policy and legislative changes that, you know, build those pathways for the safety and security of Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people. So if I understand you correctly, and don't and please correct me if I'm wrong, it is, it is, they are, women who are targeted are, are left vulnerable by, by, by a system that leaves them at the mercy of, of incidents such as this one. Absolutely. You know, when, you know, the failure to meet the basic human rights of Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people, you know, leaves them in vulnerable vulnerable positions where they are targeted by the predators out there who basically, you know, know that, you know, when Indigenous women and girls and two-spirit and gender-diverse people are violated, that the justice system often fails the victims and, you know, often rules in favor of the perpetrator, you know, even in the circumstances that occurred in Winnipeg, we see and we've learned the history of the perpetrator, you know, the violence that he has exhibited against his former partner, you know, and obviously, you know, he's kind of highlighted that he is a white supremacist and, and, you know, all these things that have built to the, you know, cruel murders of the four Indigenous women. So it's like we need these justice systems to change, you know, to better protect our Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people, and to serve justice, you know, when they're impacted by violence. I should remind listeners that uh, he is innocent until proven guilty. These are all allegations so far. Uh, His court date will come, no doubt. Hilda anderson Piers is with us this half hour. She is chair of the National Family and Survivors Circle. We've been talking about the arrests, or at least the charges announced yesterday by Winnipeg police. The arrest had been made back in May following the murder of one Indigenous woman, uh, woman there. And then 
three more charges laid yesterday against the same 35-year-old suspect in these cases, um, two of which uh, murders happened in March and another, uh, we believe, in May as well. Or sorry, two earlier in May and one back in March of an unidentified woman who they're still trying to, at this point, identify. Um, we've been talking a bit about the circumstances in Manitoba, what happened, why this could have happened again. Uh, this comes about three years and a bit after the final report of the commission into the uh, missing uh, missing indigenous uh, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls report was released with 231 recommendations. Now I know there's been some movement on those, um, but Hilda Anderson Piers, where are we at? Uh, I know the some provinces uh, have made a, some moves on enacting those, or at least a plan of action to put those into into play, uh, but it feels like we haven't seen a lot just yet. No, and, you know, sitting nationally with the National Family and Survivor Circle, you know, we've seen some movement and, you know, but but it's not happening fast enough. It's very slow moving, you know, considering the alarming rates of homicides and missing and the violence um, Indigenous women and girls and two-spirit and gender diverse people are continuing to experience. So, it's been, you know, very frustrating seeing the lack of the political will of, you know, all levels of government, including Indigenous governments, to implement the 231 calls for justice and the National Action Plan. So, you know, when you're witnessing, you know, death all around you from coast to coast of Indigenous women, you know, being murdered, going missing and experiencing violence, it's very disheartening and it's almost like you often feel like you're losing hope because there's not enough action you know being taken to implement the 231 calls to justice and one of the key things that the national family and survivor circle is pushing for is an accountability mechanism you know to ensure that you know governments um are implementing the 231 calls for justice and there's you know, the ability to measure the outcomes and to feel the impact on the ground because currently there's no accountability structure to measure the implementation of the 231 calls for justice and it's moving far too slow, you know, when it comes to the safety and security of Indigenous women and girls and two-spirit and gender diverse people. And, you know, there's also a lot of dialogue of involving international human rights groups, you know, to force governments to act on the implementation of the 231 calls for justice because it's moving far too slow, you know, and, and we shouldn't continue to die because of the lack of political will of government. Yeah, because, there, I mean, there is there is a game plan in place. I, I yes. suppose an accountability yes. structure would be the would be the logical first step then. Yes, you know, if there's no accountability structure and there's no way to measure, you know, the impact and the implementation process, it's very difficult to hold governments accountable. You know, if there's no accountability mechanism in place, you know, they can, you know, come June 3rd, what are they going to report on, you know? Um, are we going to be disheartened again by the by the lack of action as Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people in this country? You know, because it's very frustrating, you know, because the 231 calls for justice lay out the framework on, you know, the action that is required by governments. And, and in fact, all Canadians in this country, we all have to be part of the 
you know, solution to, you know, ensure that the 231 calls for justice are implemented for the safety and security of Indigenous women, girls, and right. people in this country. I get to, if I look at the date, I gather it'll be three and a half years tomorrow, actually, since that uh, report was released. Uh, objectively, in the short term, um, I guess the only hope is that this case, once again, raises raises alarm bells, that people stand up and realize once again that these, you know, we, we went through the, the process of having this commission for a reason. Um, yes. The report was, was tabled for a reason, and it would be high time that we uh, paid attention to it, I would think. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, like, you know, 100%, you know, that, you know, the political will is required, and if it's not there, governments need to recommit the political will for the full implementation of the 231 calls for justice, you know, because the 231 calls for justice are built around, like, human rights frameworks, right, And and they're legal imperatives as well, and they can't be ignored. Hilda Anderson-Pierce, thank you so much for your time tonight. Okay, thank you so much for having me.